0: this is scamp life the other side a bi-weekly podcast for summer camp professionals hosted by kelly cook
1: and natalie hamilton
0: now it's time to explore the other side of summer camp so welcome back to our podcast scamp life the other side i'm here today It's Kelly Cook, and again, Natalie is with us, and we have a special guest today. We are very, very excited to have her. Dr. G is here with us for today's episode. Hey, you guys.
1: I'm so glad to join you.
0: Awesome. So we, Natalie and I, have, as everybody who listens to us know, that we just come up with random topics as we're sitting in our office Uh, talking about whatever it might be, and we get sidetracked on these big conversations. Well, of course, COVID is on everybody's mind still, unfortunately, after we're in now year three of this. Uh, But I think after last summer, we all very much had a hard time with, you know, everything getting back into the groove of camp, getting back into a quote unquote normalcy of camp. And so in talking about COVID, You know, Natalie and I brought up this interesting fact of, you know, a lot of us as adults are experiencing COVID in one way, but how might that trauma that we are all currently facing affecting either our kids, our campers, and so on and so forth? And so today, when we talk about COVID trauma, we are talking about everything over the last couple of years. So that includes, uh, you know, COVID for sure, but also, all the pol- political things that have been going on, the protests, the human rights movements, economic disparities, inflation, all the big, big things that us as adults have to worry about and how that trauma that we are going through may be affecting our youth. So today's, today's episode is how has our adult trauma of COVID years affecting our campers and so dr g is here today to help us answer some of these really big questions and so i'll let dr g first introduce herself and then natalie will take it away
1: hi everybody Uh, my name is debbie gilboa i'm a family doctor and i'm a resilience expert and i'm really glad to be here to talk to you about this because trauma is a word that especially our younger staff are kind of throwing into every situation And it can be confusing or frustrating, and also somewhat influencing on kids. Certainly, the vast majority of us have been through trauma in the last two years. But if you, Nat and Kelly, don't mind, I'd really like to start by (laughs) defining that word. Please do. So that when I say trauma, you know what I mean. So trauma isn't just drama. It isn't even just a very hard thing. The definition of trauma, psychological trauma, is something that either interrupts your personal sense of safety or undermines your core beliefs. So let me just really, let me elucidate that by giving you a quick example. For a lot of people going through the experience of COVID interrupted their personal sense of safety and likely undermined their core beliefs, some of their core beliefs about whether it was safe to go to the grocery store and what could happen to them outside of their home just by breathing for me, and I was frontline frontline for COVID in a very immediate way as a doctor. I'm in the hospital, I'm taking care of patients, I'm showing up to do house calls at people's houses. I held people's hands as they passed away. It was very difficult, but COVID wasn't a trauma for me because it didn't change my personal sense of safety. I was a doctor during the swine flu pandemic, and I knew that I could catch something, die from it, give it to my kids, God forbid, right? I knew all that already. It's terrifying, but I knew it. It didn't change my sense of safety and it didn't change my underlying core beliefs about what was true. So I can't say that for me, COVID has been a trauma, even though it's been draining and difficult and awful and sometimes feels totally insurmountable. And there is a forehead sized dent in the front wall of my office from arguing with (laughs) patients about it. So it's not to say that I haven't been impacted strongly, but for me, it wasn't a trauma. For a lot, a lot, a lot of people, our staff, especially ourselves, and for some of our campers, it has been a trauma. There have been. And the other things that you've described and the war that's happening in Ukraine and Any of these things could be a trauma, psychological trauma for someone, just keeping in mind, did it interrupt their personal sense of safety or undermine some of their core beliefs?
2: So first question we really want to kind of dive into is, you know, over these past couple years, lots of camps have seen a a severe increase in essentially behavior issues or behavior situations that they're having to, to deal with in that summer camp process. Um, You know, some of the big ones that we specifically saw, you know, lack of confidence or lack of confidence, yes, um, lack of conflict resolution, um, more bullying instances, um, harder time with independent thinking or critical thinking. Um, A lot of things we saw with our really young campers, um, we start at four years old here. So our four to five year olds really struggled with having any kind of a structured day because for the most of them, this was the first time that they had been in any kind of a true structured situation because of the events of the past couple of years. So th- I mean those are the big things that we've, we've talked about and all camps are seeing it and again we focus a lot on the child aspect of that but that's where we want to have this conversation is how are their parents affecting that? So what have you been seeing you know in the work that you've been doing with how how those adult struggles have been influencing in our campers nowadays?
1: So one thing I think we have to talk about is what educational experts are calling social deconditioning. If you have an illness that forces you to stay in bed to recover every day, every 24 hours that you're in bed, you lose about 2% of your muscle mass. So you can imagine that if you're in bed for a week with a bad illness, I mean, like, really like crawling to the bathroom in bed, right? Not like, (laughs) oh, I'd rather be laying down, like you can't get out of bed, then if you think about it, at the end of that week, your muscle mass is down about 15%. So you can get up and feel shaky and weak as a baby, even if you are recovered from the infection, your body has a lot of healing and re-strengthening to do. And I think that makes sense. Many of us have been sick, even just for a couple of days with like a vomiting illness or something. And we get up and we're like, whoa, the world is much heavier than I remember it being gravity <laughs> is hard. So that being said, we don't yet have data to quantify the deconditioning that happened from people isolating for so many months. But the result is pretty clear. We are seeing in kids and adults that even people, myself included, that proudly call ourselves extroverts got tired being out and about and around people. It's, it feels like a lot, even though we longed for it, we maybe still want it, I do. Last year I was doing a staff training at an all girls camp And I was there their second day of a two week staff training because it was an overnight camp and the, we thought we, everyone would have to bubble. So they had two weeks planned. Everybody comes up. They had, you know, they couldn't have been more excited to be together after 10 months of being in their bedrooms. This is the staff mind you. And I was there at like second dinner is when I got there and I was already hearing staff people say to each other, I was so excited to be here. I'm exhausted. There's so many people. There's so much conversation. I can't, I can't mute any of you. I can't scroll (laughs) past you. I can't set you down on my bed and ignore you for a few minutes. And so that social deconditioning has affected most everyone's readiness to get out into the world, to take on all those activities again, to go be at the family events. And I think that that Because in truth, for a lot of your campers, their parents are still the deciders about how many things are we gonna go to? How many places am I willing to drive you? What are we gonna sign up for? How long are we gonna stay at the family event? So as parents are struggling to get their own selves reconditioned or, and this is happening to a lot of people, they're realizing they don't wanna be, they'd like to be more homebody than they had been before the pandemic. And so they are choosing more often to stay at home and Zoom in or just stay at home to not engage as often or as long as they had pre-pandemic. So kids are getting a little less exposure and they themselves have social deconditioning as well. There's no doubt that that impacted our campers and continues to. One of the things that you're describing with your younger kids, my, my youngest son is 13 and he's at a pre-K to eight school and they just unmasked outside last week. Wow. For wow. the first time in two years. And the pictures that they sent in the school weekly newsletter were especially poignant for the first graders who had never seen their teachers' faces before. And if you remember the love that a lot of kindergartners and first graders have for their teachers, like some kids just started crying. They were so joyful, and the teachers were sobbing (laughs) in a lovely way, but we have to reintroduce ourselves to certain experiences and change is hard even change that we long for is still stressful. This is something that I write about. I actually, I have a book coming out about that, (laughs) about this issue of, of change. And I've talked about it in every camp setting where I've learned with people this whole year. But it's really important to remember that even change that we really, really, really want, like stepping foot on camp again. And this was true in 1972, as well as 2022. Stepping foot on camp again, or getting the position we wanted as a staff person, or sending our kid to a camp that we're so excited about for them, all change is still stressful, because our brains are wired for a million functions, but one purpose, and that purpose is to keep us alive. We are currently alive, which means our brains are wired to be skeptical of all change, even the good stuff.
2: I know you guys are just listening, but I I wish you could have seen Kelly's and I's faces when you had that that comment about when they're I'm asking That was the first time they've seen their teacher's faces. Both were just like, "Oh my gosh!" I didn't even think about it in that sense, and it's something that we take for granted and is so simple, but is so impactful for especially those younger kids right now.
0: So, with with all of that, um, you know, it's clearly influencing our, our our kids, you know, in some capacity. How do you feel the adults have kind of handled these last couple of years? You know, with, with everything going on, knowing that they have kids, how, how have they really kind of handled, handled everything?
1: Mixed results, wouldn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that a lot of people have used this disruption and upheaval for some real good in their lives and in their kids' lives. I cannot tell you how many men I work with in the corporate setting who have said I've had more meals with my kids in the last year than I had in the whole rest of their lives. One of the things that we know about kids, about teenagers, is that in 2021 teenagers rated their relationships with their family members, both nuclear and extended, as more important to them in a scale than they ever have before, since we've been measuring. If you're listening and you've lost someone that you love through this experience there's no silver lining that can outweigh that. If you've lost major opportunities, if you are suffering loss of any kind that weighs heavily on you, you have all of my empathy. And I don't mean to diminish that in any way. However, I will say, this is the first time, I think in recorded history, the kids have been through a worldwide disruption Mm -hmm. while adults were talking about and working on and researching how is it impacting kids and what do they need? During the polio epidemic in the US in the 1950s, kids were pulled out of school for months. They would do their lessons on the radio. Teachers would read first grade lesson at 9 a.m. and second grade lesson at 10 a.m. Like that, it was like the one room schoolhouse, but the one room was your living room and you were there listening to the, the, the armoire height and size radio with your paper just listening to the radio we've been through upheavals like this before the spanish flu 100 years ago is an enormous global upheaval we've just never before had a time where people on the news and educators and parents and youth development experts like yourselves were all saying okay how is it impacting kids what do they need are we being careful are we watching are we measuring are we trying to impact for good their mental health and their development so that's great news Because now this whole generation of kids will grow up to whatever upheaval or disruption faces them next, which is usually individual and not global, and they'll have some skills. They'll have some strategies because not only did they watch their adults go through it and know that they've been through it themselves, they watched adults who were listening to podcasts like this and reading articles and having conversations about camp programming for 2021 and 2022 saying what should we change to better support the mesh development of our campers and that has never happened before there isn't a a thinking educator camp person coach youth group advisor pastor who isn't thinking hey what do the kids in my community need and are we getting them what we need and are we checking in on them and are we protecting them as best we can we're not yet doing a great job, but in medicine, I tell my medical students all the time, you only find what you look for and you only look for what you know about. My parents' generation didn't know to look for this stuff. So now we know to look for it so we can find it when it's there and then we'll be able to get the information we need and the knowledge we need to help. So I think the good thing that's happened during all this is that adults have had time to say, okay, it's not just about me, It's also about my kids and I'm gonna ask better questions and I'm gonna look to see how they're really doing. A couple of things that I think that we are accidentally doing that are harming our kids because of these traumas that many people have been through is we've become more enmeshed with our kids, not just interested or empathetic. Interested and empathetic is great. Enmeshed, really woven together where when you move, I twitch, that's not as healthy and helpful for our kids. As a matter of fact, it gets in the way of our empathy. To be able to express empathy for somebody adequately, you have to not feel all their same feelings. But 20 years ago, we were teaching that empathy was the same as mirroring emotions. That if you were sad, the way I showed you, empathy was by crying with you. That's not actually true. Expressing empathy effectively means making space for your emotions, not giving them back to you through my experience. And we're not only enmeshed, we've become hypervigilant as a, and now I'm saying Gen X, but millennials to a certain extent as well, hypervigilant about kids' experiences, so much so that we interpret our kids' discomfort as danger, and it isn't. And CAMP has made a business, a great, wonderful community building business out of making kids uncomfortable. That's what we do we make them try new things, we make them meet new people, we make them sit and wait their turn, we make them get in the water, we make them do the bus song, we make them stand at the flagpole, right? Like we we make them do things that are uncomfortable and if they didn't, they wouldn't learn. We learn when we're uncomfortable. But then as family members, we've given kids this idea that if they're uncomfortable, we're failing them. That if they're uncomfortable, they're in danger and they should tell us and we'll fix it. And so, and that got worse during the pandemic. In my anecdotal and also professional observations,
2: yeah, yeah. So yeah. we have a couple, you know, different specific scenarios that we wanted to kind of run through in specific settings. I guess is a more appropriate term for it. Um, but what have you you seen? And again, we've talked a lot about COVID specific, but you know, the other other issues that have been really prominent over the past couple of years. You know, given the you know, the election process all of the protests and human rights movements have been going on. You know, what, what have you seen in, in adults that have truly affected kids specifically in a school setting? You know, what have been some of those, those issues that we are seeing in a, in a school setting that have been directly influenced by or rel- related to, to their parents?
1: I have a friend who's a social studies teacher and he says he loves to be a social studies teacher in high school during an election year because you get to talk about the presidential election and rant about the electoral college from his point of view and have mock elections. And he has said he equally hates being a social studies teacher in an election year in an elementary school or a middle school because in an elementary or middle school, developmentally speaking, you don't get to find out what your students think, you, think you only find out their parroting of what their parents think. Mm-hmm. So developmentally, And at a day camp i would imagine that you guys are thinking about campers as being up to like 14 years old for the most part and for overnight camps they're thinking about campers being up to 15 or 16 years old often but either way there's a pretty clear break your oldest campers are taking in information and forming their own opinions and sometimes especially in that 13 or 14 year old age group their opinion is only diametrically opposed to what their parents think they haven't thought it through they just know they're not like those people Fine. That's actually developmentally normal as kids start to push out into that second decade of life and try and figure out who they are. The first thing they do is figure out who they're not and they are not their parents. That's a sign of a healthy bond with their family and their confidence to actually have a differing opinion and still be accepted and all that is totally fine. But it means that until kids are 15 or 16 years old, they aren't so busy thinking about what they think and what's important to them. They are busy thinking about what they think is important with their parents that makes some sense to them and bonds them to their family. And that's developmentally really important for kids to give them that safe place, uh, that lack of trauma at home to grow up into, that's great. The problem is it often puts kids in the last couple of few years, and this has happened before if we're taking that hundred year view, but it, it is now at this moment in time, putting kids at one end of a pendulum spectrum really pretty far out to the extreme it's it's that center under the bell curve that's now got a weird u-shape instead of a, a gentle peak and kids are parroting and sometimes trying to defend beliefs that not only do they not have a nuanced view on it's not even really their view they're still speaking what they've caught of their adults views it's putting kids in a bad space and i think as youth development experts running camps you have to think about how it's For some of those kids, it's gonna put them in opposition with their their staff. They're gonna say things or hear things that are really opposed to what they're hearing at home and they're gonna have a loyalty struggle. They love their counselors. I tell, whenever I do staff training, I remind counselors that no matter what your social situation is like during the school year, when you're a camp counselor, you're the coolest kid in the room Mm -hmm. and you have a lot of power. The only person you don't have more power than is the adult at home with this camper who that camper Feels bonded to for their own safety and well being. So, especially in day camps, although it comes up with overnight camps too, you don't want campers to be in a situation where they feel like, boy, I can agree with my staff person or with my grown up at home, but not both. And they wouldn't like each other. They might even hate each other. So, I think through the camp lens, what we have to remember is that kids have been polarized along with adults, not everybody. But I don't think anybody can go through this staff training season without reminding their staff how their kids' psychological safety is more important than them expressing their political views and talking about how we express values like vegetarianism or um, maybe not wearing leather. It's a value for your staff member, not just a political view. It's not just about who I'm going to vote for, it's that. I love animals and don't want to eat them or see them killed for my shoes. Okay, fine. Um, that's not actually my view, but you can totally see how a staff person would feel. That wasn't just a political view, that's like, that's a heart value. So, how can they answer questions about that when it comes up without feeling making their campers feel like they are suddenly the rope in a tug of war? And I want to remind camp directors that you've had this issue forever with religion, Mm -hmm. unless you're a camp that's based in one religious faith. So whatever language you used to use about religion, you could use about this too. Um, Listen, I'm a parent of Jewish kids and I'm a Jewish mom and they've asked me questions about that amazing guy who flies around in a sled and brings gifts. And my answer has always been I will talk to you about this if you never talk to your friends about it, because we don't tell other people what's true or not true about their religion that's not our job that's not respectful so. And I will grant you for everybody listening that's not necessarily a religious tenant, but it was an easy way to explain it to my six year old, so you can say it is not our job to judge other people's beliefs and thoughts at camp. Because by the way, it is our job to judge other people's beliefs when my kids are trying to figure out who they should be friends with or what groups they should join at school or those things. I do want them to make judgments and value-based opinions. But we can say at camp, part of our mission is, and I'm hoping it is in some way or another, accepting people where they are Mm -hmm. and seeing what we can find in common with them, focusing on the in common and not the not in common the center of the venue diagram and not the edges.
0: I think that's a really good way for directors to look at it in terms of comparing it to religion because the forefront of politics has become more of a conversation now in camps than it has been in
1: the past. But like you mentioned, religion has always been there. And one of the issues that's gonna come up, I think at most camps, if it's an issue for campers because it may not be, is, is pronouns. But a lot of camps have dealt with the camp nickname conversation. So if you have a rule about nicknames, either you don't do them or you do them, but you can't, for example, I would imagine most camps would support the idea that if Natalie wants to be called Lobster, we can all call her Lobster. But if I say, hey, Nat, let's call Nat Lobster. And she says, I don't like that. We can't call her Lobster. So you get to decide what you're called at camp. And that's all the pronoun conversation has to be at camp. Everybody gets to tell us who they are, and we won't refer to them in a way that makes them uncomfortable, and we'll do our best to refer to them in ways that make them comfortable.
2: Yeah, and I think it's important to you know, we've touched on a little bit, but a lot of these conversations, yes, the context of them might be new, but they're not new conversations. It's just now that the, the it's being it's almost celebrated to be able to have a conversation about it and to bring it up and talk about it.
0: So we, we've kind of already touched on, you know, a little bit of school. And I think in your answer, you kind of touched on home life too. You know, it, it's really affecting kids in their home. So how has this also then transferred over into school, out of school settings? So things like camps, after school, sports, just that kind of unstructured time where, where kids are interacting with kids outside of the home but also in not such a structured setting such as school
1: for the most part kids as they've ever been as we were when we were kids are looking for either ways to fit in or ways to stand out and it has become clear i think to kids that there are certain hot button issues and some of them many of them I don't think should be hot buttons, and I wish they weren't, but some of them are ever-present, like bathrooms and like masks and like um, bumper stickers on cars and colors that you wear and all kinds of things, right, can be dangerous for a kid who wants to just fit in or opportunities for a kid who would like to stand out, but it's impossible to know what's going on in that kid's head or heart when they take a stand about something. It could be wanting to show loyalty or connection to a parent that they miss, or that a parent that they just talked to or just had a conflict with, or just had a really loving moment with. It's kids mostly behave out of their own self-interest looking for emotional and psychological safety. So whatever is most impactful to them, whether that's feeling safe at home or feeling safe in that social situation, They're just playing with things. One of the things that I always remember when we talk about bullying in general is that the reason that we will never solve bullying, right? My mom was an educator of blessed memory and she used to say, if schools could fix bullying, we would have fixed it. All it does is take away from educational time, right? So when parents are like, why hasn't the school fixed it? It's because schools can't fix it. And if good parenting were the answer, then some kids would never come anywhere near bullying. They wouldn't see it, they wouldn't be victim to it and they wouldn't do it. Whereas when you survey adults, you find that 97% of adults say that they saw bullying happen 80% say that they were a victim of it at some point, either in their home or outside of it usually sibling bullying right. And 65% say that they did it at some point or another, and that's because bullying is just leadership skills with bad intentions. For every after school program or volunteer coach or camp professional or educator, I would remind you that the tool you have in your toolkit that will work almost every time is mission. So when kids get into a dispute or a disagreement or a fight about something that is emotionally charged for them and really partisan, whatever that ends up looking like, right? whether, whether it's, you know, the, they're doing the West Side Story and it's the Sharks versus the Jets, it doesn't matter. If they are experiencing division, your mission is unifying. Make sure every person who works in and goes to your program knows your mission, which means it can't be a page long. It's got to be a tweet. You know, it's got to be a couple of sentences. (laughs) Make sure everybody knows your mission and then just ask them, okay, what does our mission say about this? What do we do? And if your mission names respect, but not whatever this issue is, then we're going to lean on respect. And if it names listening or communication or if it names unity or if it names service or whatever your mission names, there is some unity in that. That will, with just a little bit of intentional guidance, help those kids at least on to the next activity, if not through that disagreement.
2: You know, I feel like camps are kind of at the forefront of.
1: Everything.
2: I everything. Yes, but eyes on us. Of okay, how do we handle it? Because as you said, you know, s- schools are limited with what they can do. Their main focus should be education. Um. So uh, eyes on us as far as what can camps provide, what can camps do, but also realizing camps have limited resources. We're we're we are we do not have the the behavior specialists on staff. We don't have the counts the school type counselors on staff. Most of our staff are. 18 19 year old kids fresh out of high school who are also struggling with these same exact issues so and with their own self regulation yeah exactly so given that we are limited with what we can provide what are some concrete things that camps can do to to help our campers through all of these different issues they're they're st- they're having that are stemming from whoever that guardian or caregiver is is also struggling with, you know, what what can we actually do
1: and provide for our campers or what should we be providing for our campers? Okay, so concrete examples. I'm gonna put you guys on the spot a little and I feel comfortable doing that because this is had to go for it. Post. Please do. <laughs> What's the mission of your camp?
0: So the mission of Pine Ridge is to empower all individuals by engaging them in outdoor activities that instill confidence, exploration, and
1: community. Great. So you can use all the pieces and parts of that, depending on what the conflict is, but that means it's not about winning the debate. It's not even about being right. It's about figuring out what each kid, not just the loudest kid and not just the kid who's not saying anything, what each child in that interaction needs to be empowered. It may be, okay, we get outside at Pine Ridge when we we don't know what to do next, we get outside, let's go outside. Let's take it outside, you know, that old phrase that usually means let's go fight. Let's flip that on its head and say, we're gonna take this outside and we're gonna, we're gonna walk around this area and see if we can take some sticks and leaves and grass and make a diagram of what it is you're talking about. Or we're gonna name the trees, the different sides to this argument, and then think about what we could do to stretch a rope between the trees and how high off the ground it could be. You know, do we set it on the ground and walk across that rope or do we put it six inches above the ground and try and walk across that rope? we can use what's around us we can have fun we can be silly we can talk about six things we think won't help that always gets kids juices flowing to say okay what will not solve this argument well we could wrestle with marshmallow arms okay that probably will not solve it but it sounds fun let's try it one of the things that 18 19 20 year olds do is they they get around structure really well And it can be frustrating to us as people who would like them to be at lunch on time or get all the kids starts and crafts with their backpack because they have swimming next, but they can use those opportunities to use either silliness or creative problem solving or total non sequiturs or a dance party to draw people back towards community or empower everybody in the conversation, not just the person who's being the loudest or who's the most upset or got hit with the softball. There are so many times after camp this summer that kids will be in situations where they feel like they're not being heard or they feel like what they're being asked to do is, or believe is somehow in conflict with what they were told a different time, or it doesn't sit right with what they know to be true about their own lived experience. That what we're doing at camp is not solving these problems and not deciding who's right. We're teaching kids to be self-advocates and problem solvers who know how to ask for help when they need it.
2: Well, thank you again for coming on and talking with us. We really, really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you would like to add for, for those that are listening you know, on, on this topic?
1: There's this idea of trauma-informed care and our staff all need trauma-informed care. The main ingredient to trauma-informed care is knowing that they've been through some stuff. So when you see behaviors or reactions from your staff that surprise you in a good way or a bad way, get curious, try to tie your surprise or your frustration, because those are real feelings, feel them, but try to tie it to curiosity so that you can say, Hey, that wasn't what I was expecting. Is there something going on here? I don't know about not in a snarky way, not in a condemning way, just genuinely curious. If you can do that with your staff and teach them to do that with their campers, you will avoid a lot of escalating to punishment, not none, right, there have to be consequences for really bad behavior, but you'll avoid some of it because you interrupted the flow by getting curious instead of by getting either directive or hurt or angry.
2: Um, so I know mental health first aid is is a very popular trainer. Are there any other trainings out there that you would recommend for for camp staff to invest in, whether at a seasonal level for those staff director level um, that can help our our staff as an entirety through these these issues and topics that keep coming up?
1: Yeah, just email me and bring me out. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, they <yeah>, could. <laughs> um, so listen i don't know enough about mental health first aid to comment on whether or not it fits well into camp situations i know that some camps have found that it does and that's awesome one of the things that i really want you to think about is that you have been doing mental health training as long as you have been training staff but you might not have been calling it that and there's a little power a little bit of power in the words that you used so and it's one of the things that i do talk about in my new book it's called from stressed to resilient and it's just different activities that build the eight skills that make up what we call resilience when we talk about resilience. You can do those skills. I do have some for particularly for staff training. That is something actually you can contact me for if that's useful to you. But more than that, if you can just have those open conversations where you say we won't have all the answers and we won't have thought of all of the problems beforehand, we're counting on you to come to us and let us know what would work. Please, when you bring us a problem, also bring two possible solutions.
0: Wonderful. Well, I guess I have a new book to add to my, uh, my <laughs> <Yep>. reading list. <laughs> that would be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I, but those, those are the types of books I read. Kurt knows it, Chris knows it. they all. They always have me talk about books. So that's one I will definitely be adding to my list to read. Uh, but thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on and talking with us today. If people want to reach out to you with questions and, or to have you come with, do their staff training, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: The easiest way to get me is through my website. It's askdrg.com. So I get a lot of questions there and I love that i'll also tell you that i'm launching something uh, that will definitely have launched before you guys drop this episode. That i'm really excited about it's a stress tracker so to see how this works like this from stress to resilient path works and get a couple of strategies and exercises you could do right now and whatever change you're facing that's hard you go to stressed and right there, you're gonna see, you can put in some information and then it will give you back a couple of strategies. I will give you back a couple of <laughs> strategies that can be helpful to you right now. So in about three so. to four weeks, I will be going there.
0: <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> well, thank you again. And uh, we've had a blast. If you have questions for Natalie or myself, our contact information will be in the show notes and we will also provide a link to dr g's website as well so that you guys can easily find her as well thank you again and thank you all for listening we are now on all uh streaming uh, locations for podcasts so feel free to subscribe and listen to us Uh, we look forward to seeing you the next time